Let me say welcome to Salem Chapel. If you're new with us or you're a member of this church, man, we are so glad that you're here this morning. Um, If you are new with us, let me explain where we have been. We've been walking through the book of Colossians uh, for the past six weeks, and uh, we'll continue to do so right up to Easter. And uh, we've really been looking about uh, around this idea of being satisfied and what that means. And if you're new with us, my name is Johnny Pereira. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here, but I want you to think about that word. Because if you've been with us uh, for the majority of this series or even for every week, chances are you may be dulled to that word a little bit because you've heard it quite a bit. And if you are new with us, that, that should not be the case. But regardless of where you fit into either of those categories, I want you to think about that word, satisfied. And I want you to ask yourself, before we even get into God's word this morning, ask yourself, am I satisfied? Ask yourself that. Knowing that the person next to you isn't going to ask you that. I'm not, I'm not going to get an answer from you audibly. No, this is between you and God. And, and can I just tell you this? If you don't know already, God already knows the answer uh, for, for you. And, and so you don't need to like put on a show for the Lord. Um, just really answer that. Are you satisfied this morning? And maybe as you think about that, your answer might be rooted in, well, I will be if this happens, if this job interview goes well, if this promotion goes well, if I get this bonus that I'm hoping for in a couple of weeks, if this person gives me the recognition that I believe I deserve because of whatever I have done. And and so... Honestly, as you think about that question, you may, that may be involved in your answer. Because really what we're doing in this series is we are asking that question, are you satisfied? But then we're also giving an answer. And the answer being that if you are looking to satisfaction in any other person or any other thing other than Jesus your answer to that question will always be no. I'm not satisfied. And here's what I want you to know this morning, and here's what God's word wants you to know, is that satisfaction is not some dream or some aspiration that we go after, never really being able to ever find it. That satisfaction can truly be yours, and it can truly be mine if I know where it is found. And that's what we're going after in this series. You know, you've seen this graphic behind me, if you have been with us for this entire series, for six weeks. And so even as I ask that question, I want you to think about which side of that graphic characterizes your life right now. Is it a desert? You're dry? You're empty? You're thirsty? Or is it lush? Is it green? Are you experiencing growth? Are you experiencing satisfaction? See, here's how we define satisfaction in Jesus Christ. This is how we've defined it in this series. It's this, believing and experiencing that Jesus is better. 
See, as we saw in chapter one, knowledge is very important. We need knowledge. We need to know what God's word says about God. We need to know what God's word says about Jesus Christ. We need to know how I can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that it's through his perfect life, his perfect death, and his resurrection, and me trusting fully in that and surrendering my life to that, that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Knowledge is very important. I don't discount knowledge. I don't want us, I don't want us to downplay knowledge. We need to believe that Jesus is better. But it's more, as even Gray said, In the song that we just sang, it's more than some theological thing that we know in our heads. It's about applying it to our lives, as Paul says in chapter 1, with spiritual wisdom and understanding. So it's not just believing that Jesus is better, it's me believing that and applying it to whatever I'm walking through so that I can experience that Jesus is better. So that when my heart wants to be pulled to go after someone or some other thing, falling into the trap and the lie that that's going to give me satisfaction that Jesus can't. I could say, no, 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 no. This is what I believe. This is what I've experienced. And I know that nothing, no matter how good that may be, that someone, that something, no matter how good and, and amoral that thing may be, it's never going to bring me what my relationship with Jesus will. That's what we're going after in this series. That's what we're wanting that at the end of this series, we'll be able to say, man, not only do I believe that Jesus is better, but I've actually been able to experience it in my life. So turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 16 through 23 this morning. That's where we're at. Aaron did such a great job walking through verses 1 through 15 last week, and so we're going to pick up in the next passage of Scripture and finish out chapter 2 this morning and, uh, and so in Colossians 2, verse 16, if you're there, say, I'm there. All right, so let's start reading in verse 16. It says, therefore, now remember what we've said over and over again here at Salem Chapel. When you find the word therefore and you're in reading the word of God on your own, then you need to say to yourself, okay, let me go back to what I just read because a conclusion is being made from the content above these verses. And and, and lest you think that we aren't going to explain why therefore is there, we will. I promise you. But let's start in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are the shadow of things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. You ought to underline that phrase. The substance belongs to Christ. And we'll deal with the significance of that. Verse 18, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism, we'll explain what that means, and worship of angels going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head. Hopefully, head in your Bible is capital H. If it's not, then this week, here's a to-do list for you, get another Bible, because it ought to be capitalized. Because the head is who, if it's capitalized? Jesus, that's right. And not holding fast to the head, who we know is Jesus, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If, Christ, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. 
These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Now, here's what I know. If some of you, we get done reading that passage of your scripture and you're like, what in the world are we going to talk about today? Right? Right? Like, I'm just going to say out loud what you're thinking. But hear me on this. This is a passage of scripture that I believe many of us, frankly all of us, need to hear, whether it's our background or whether it's us with what we're going presently through to be reminded of a foundational truth that we're going to unpack from this passage that the Lord is giving Paul in his word that he wants to give to us. But here's the title of the message this morning. It's this, relationship always trumps religion. Always. Relationship always trumps religion. See, that's what, that's what Paul is getting after in this passage of Scripture that, that we're going to unpack. And, and so if that's the title of the message, and Paul's talking about the difference between a relationship with Christ and religion, then here's the idea that I really, that really can sum up this passage of Scripture that, that we're going to unpack from God's Word. It's this idea here, a satisfied heart. That's what we've been looking at, right? We've defined satisfaction in Christ. We want a heart. We want a life that's satisfied. A satisfied heart rests in a relationship with Christ rather than a religion. Like some of you have come in this morning and you are tired. And I'm not talking about tired physically. I'm talking about spiritually tired. And I want you to think about that word rest. Like even the word has the idea of what it means, right? Just say that with me. Rest. Come on, say it like you mean it. Rest. I don't believe there's one person in here who doesn't want that. But what I want us to understand from God's word is that your heart is satisfied when you rest in a relationship with Christ rather than religion. And so I think it's important that we define those two terms, religion and relationship, and the difference between them. See, religion focuses on this question. It's really rooted in a question. And and here's, here's the question. What do I need to do to be accepted by God? That's religion. I don't care what religion you're talking about. Religion is rooted in the question, what do I need to do to be accepted by God? Doesn't matter who you define God to be. Religion, what do I need to do? How much of it do I need to do? How many times do I need to do it? What do I need to do to be accepted by God? That's religion. Focuses on a question. Here's relationship. Relationship focuses on a conclusion. And the conclusion is this. What did God, what has God done so I could be accepted by him? 
That's the conclusion. Relationship does not ask a question, man, what do I need to do to to be accepted by God? No, no, no. Relationship, a relationship with Christ is based on a conclusion. It's what God has done so that I can be accepted by him today. Do you see the difference in that? Vastly different. And Paul is getting after, in this passage of Scripture, the importance of understanding the difference between the two. Because here's the reality. By our nature, we are constantly pulled into the direction of religion. Some of you are sit here today, and you would say, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I believe that I've placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I believe he's the only way. I believe, as Gray even said, making reference to John 11, and what he, Jesus also says it in John and in other places, I am the resurrection and the life. John 14, 6, no one comes to the Father except through me. We're like, man, I believe that. But if you're truly transparent this morning, you would say, I struggle, though, in bringing religion into that relationship. And I know that Jesus did everything so that I could be accepted by God. But I still struggle that I need to do more. I still battle with guilt and that I haven't done enough. I still battle with my past. I still struggle that I did those things even though that I know I'm forgiven by God and so on. I'm still struggling living a life of penance for the things that God has forgiven. What are we doing? We are falling into our nature to want to bring religion into our relationship with Jesus Christ. And what that will not cause us to experience is rest. And God through Paul, the Holy Spirit through Paul wants to deal with that lie. See, it was going on at the church at Colossae, just like it's maybe going on in your heart today. And so what I wanna do this morning, after we pray, is I wanna give you two action steps that will answer the question, how do I rest in my relationship with Christ rather than wrestling with religion? Because some of you are wrestling with it today. Some of you may be here and you're searching and and you would say, man, if I'm going to be transparent, I've not placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I've just been relying on the good things that I want to do, hope to do, am doing. And I don't need to tell you that that's a wrestling place, not a restful place. So I want us to pray today. And as I pray out loud, here's what I want you to pray. Lord, would you help me to realize, to understand or even to be reminded of that satisfaction in Christ, a satisfied heart, Lord, rests in what I have in you, in a relationship with you. Do you pray with me as I pray out loud? Lord, we're here today to open up your word. As we say here at Salem Chapel, when your word is open, your mouth is open. And Lord, would you, would you show us where we're not finding rest, spiritual rest. If it's us allowing the guilt of our past or whatever it is, wherever religion may be creeping in, Lord, may we understand in a greater way and experience in a greater way that you are always better. In Jesus' name, amen. Look at verse 16 and 17 again, because here's the reality There's a lot in these verses that you're like, what in the world does that mean? 
And so I want us to help us understand this passage of Scripture so that we can understand the point that we just gave is really the heart of what Paul is going after. He says in He says, let no one pass judgment. Verse 16 is where I'm at. Let no one pass judgment. Now let's first talk about what it's not. Can we we do that? Can Can we first talk about what it's not? It's not this blanket statement like, nobody judge me. It's not a blanket statement that means this, mind your own business. It's not, it's not that. Some of you would love it to be that, but it's not that. It's not. So it's not like, man, you know, there's some people in my life that are trying to, 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 to encourage me to walk a different way and to get back in step with my relationship with the Lord, and I don't like what they're telling me. Oh, finally, man, I'm glad I came to church today because now I've got a phrase I can use. Let no one pass judgment on me. Not, not what it's talking about. Like, no one's going to walk out of here and accuse me of saying that. So what is it talking about? What is it in reference to? Well, it's just... Once again, look at this passage of scripture, what Paul's referring to. Let no one pass judgment on you, but what's that in regard to? In questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon. Now, here's what we have to remind ourselves of. There were no spiritual grandchildren during this time at the church of Colossae. What do I mean by that? There were no third-generation Christians, no second-generation Christians. Nobody was saying, yeah, my grandpappy took me to church when I was, I mean, I was born in the church. And I remember going to Sunday school and Wednesday night and prayer meeting and Thursday night visitation and, and all these different types of things. Yeah, man, I remember my grandfather, my mom and dad, man, we were raised in the church. There wasn't that going on. Everyone was a first-generation Christian. So here's, here's what you were dealing with in church. You either had Jews who are used to living their life according to the Old Testament law, Levitical system, sacrifices, uh, eating certain things, not eating other certain things, celebrating different things. So you had those group of people that, that were saved out of that and realized that Jesus Christ was their Savior. And so you had those individuals, or you had Gentiles that had no idea about anything about Jewish law. They literally were wor- worshiping pagan Gods and goddesses in a temple, and Jesus got a hold of their heart. Man, what a messy place that was. Just think about that. But you have first-generation Christians, and so what's going on here is you have some individuals, particularly in these verses, who are Jewish, who have that background, who are used to obeying the Old Testament Levitical law of the things that you could eat and could drink and could not eat and could not drink. And so what they are doing is they are saying, yes, you need to believe in Jesus, but you also need to live your life by these ceremonial things. And if you don't, then you are doing something wrong. That's what Paul is addressing here. So when it talks about a festival, it's talking about the Jewish celebrations, Passover and, and the Feast of Tabernacle and the Feast of Light and, and Pentecost and other different types of things. You see that in, you can look at those in Levitic, Leviticus 23 and other Old Testament passages. And then you're like, well, what does new moon mean? And new moon has the idea that sacrifices were offered the first day of the month in a new moon. That's when you did them. And so, like I said, what you're dealing with is there's certain people, particularly Gentiles, non-Jews, who aren't doing, still observing these things, and it's creating this rift in the church that some people are looking at themselves as greater, more spiritual than others who are not practicing 
these things. And look at what it says in verse 17, including the Sabbath, which is also mentioned in verse 16. Verse 17, Paul says this, these are the shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So here's the first action that I believe we need to be doing in our life so that we can rest in a relationship with Christ rather than wrestling with religion. It's this, focus on your freedom in Christ rather than keeping a set of external rules. Like, what are you focused on more this morning? Your freedom that you have in Jesus Christ because of what he's done for you through his life, death, and resurrection? The idea that you're accepted by God? Or a set of external rules that you can keep believing that somehow that makes you more accepted by God than someone else? It really caused me to ask this question of myself, and I want to ask it of you. What motivates you to pursue your relationship with Jesus? What really motivates you? And I really think it's one of two motivations. What others think of you, or what God already thinks of you. Because here's the reality. Let me, let me just throw it out there. Let me, let me, let me give the, the spoiler alert here. You know what? God sees you as perfect through Jesus Christ. That's how God sees you. Not because you are, but because of what Jesus has done for you. He sees you through what Jesus has accomplished for you. So what's your motivation for pursuing your relationship with Jesus? That reality or what others think of you? What others in your life group think of you? What I think of you? What your spouse thinks of you? What your kids think of you? What your friends think of you? What your coworkers may be thinking of you? Because here's what I found. And I'm gonna focus on me because I'm a pretty good expert on me. And maybe it'll be true of you as well. Here's what I found. That when I'm motivated to do something because I'm afraid of someone passing judgment on me. You ever been there? When that's my motivation, like I don't want someone to pass judgment on me. I don't want someone to look down on me. I don't want someone to think that they're more spiritual than I am. When I'm motivated by those things, by those external things, it's really rooted in selfishness. It's not rooted in godliness. It's not motivated by godliness. It's just motivated by selfishness. Why? Because I want people to think of me in a certain way. And can I just tell you from experience is that is a nasty, exhausting life paradigm. Like I almost thought of putting a picture on the screen of a hamster in a wheel, but I think you can visualize that on your own. What do I mean by paradigm? Because some of you, mean, well, I'm not, I know that word, but I'm not familiar with it. What do I mean by paradigm? The way you believe and understand the world to work. Some of us have gotten caught up that, that we've been pulled by religion so that our, 
our, our relationship with Jesus Christ has allowed religion to, to creep its way in. And really, we are totally consumed with what other people think of us. And it's the external rules that other people may be putting on us that is actually, we, we are thinking, can be a good motivator for us to pursue our relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, you will always be left exhausted and will not experience rest when that is your motivation. It won't happen. Now, there's some of us in the room that grew up in church cultures where we experience this more than maybe some others. I being one of them who did experience that, right? I mean, most of you know, if you call this place your home, I'm a, I'm a pastor's kid. I'm thankful for that. I'm not bitter against that. I don't, I've never, never, never needed to go to therapy for that. Um, I, I feel blessed by that. Uh, not, not discounting or ab- making light of anyone who has, but, but our home was a, was a good place. It was a safe place. But I can say this, that growing up in a culture that loved external rules, that even though my home wasn't like that, I faced that all the time growing up. I mean, just case in point, this thing right here, where I was growing up, it was like, if you had this thing on stage, let me tell you, you were inviting the devil to come right in. <laughs> like, people are going to be having babies with one another. Like, like syncopated beat just brought in the devil incarnate himself. And so how did we know that we were a God-fearing, gospel-loving church? Man, we only had an organ and a piano on stage. Nothing else. You didn't even hold a microphone. You sang behind the pulpit. You had to wear a suit and tie. You had to, you know, God forbid, ladies walked into a place with anything but a skirt that covered their kneecaps. Like, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Others of you are like, where did you grow up? (laughs) God bless you if that's you. Some of us came out of that. And our conscience was conformed to a set of external rules, that that's how we defined whether or not we had a healthy relationship with Jesus Christ. Rather than saying, man, wait a minute, the motivation for me to have a vibrant, healthy relationship with Jesus Christ is the freedom that I have been given because of Jesus Christ. And if you grew up in that background, you know how easy it is for you to slowly slip back into, I need to mix some religion into this. Listen, you don't need to grow up in the culture that I just just described and not struggle with that. You don't know my past, Johnny. You don't know what I've done. And, and And I feel like, yes, I know what Jesus Christ did for me through his perfect life, death, and resurrection, but but there's just something in me that I feel like I need to do more. Well, you know what you need to write right next to Romans 2.16 when Paul says, let no one pass judgment on you. He says it another way in Romans 8.1 that says this, there is now, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can you read that with me? Let's read that together. There is therefore now no, say that word again, no, say it one more time, no like some of you have been wanting to say that word for a long time. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
One of the most amazing words in that verse is the word no. See, oftentimes we focus on verses that are telling us yes and do and all of those things. And those are good verses. We're going to be in chapter 3 that tells us things that we're to abstain from. I'm not saying that those aren't verses. I'm not saying that we can just live our life any way that we want to. No rules. Man, I got my ticket to heaven. I can live like the world. No, no, no. That's not what we're saying at all. If that's your mentality, then you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. But if you're struggling with religion, you need to look at God's word and see how he speaks to that. There is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Put that up again. Let's, let's leave that up there. That needs to sit for a little bit. Because here's another significant word in that verse that we oftentimes don't think of. And it's not the word no, as significant of that is. I think it's also, there's a significant word, and it's the word now. There is, therefore, now. Whatever you're struggling with now, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Now. That verse speaks to your present reality, whatever it is. That if I have placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, regardless of my struggles, there is no condemnation, no judgment, no guilty verdict because of what I have placed my trust in, in Jesus Christ. Christ. Now remember I said we're going to talk about why therefore is there in verse 16. Here's why Paul says no one deserves to pass judgment on you. Don't let that be your motivation. No, no, no. No one passes judgment on you telling you these set of external rules you have to keep in order for you to have greater favor with God. Here's why that therefore is there because of what's found in verses 15 through 17. It gives every reason to believe that there's freedom in Christ. Some of you are struggling. I know theologically there's freedom that's found in Jesus Christ, that I'm not defined by whatever external rules I, I, I don't live my life by, but man, I'm struggling with it. Well, then look at verses 15 through 17. In fact, here's some homework in a good way. You need to memorize these verses. Because here's what it says. God made alive together with him. What's the first word of verse 15? Say it out loud. Say it out loud. God. Say it out loud again. God. There's significance in this. It doesn't say you. It doesn't say a set of rules that you do. It doesn't say whether you go to Wednesday night prayer meeting or not. God made you alive. Not external rules that someone wants you to live your life by. God made you alive together with him. He says he's forgiven us all. Keyword all. Some of you need to circle the word all. And look at the description. By canceling the record of debt, like he canceled it out. Like picture you having a bill that's an enormous amount of money that you can never pay and that stamp saying paid in full. He canceled the record of debt that stood against you with its legal demands. You know what was demanded of you because of your sin? Death, spiritual death. For all of eternity, hell, separation from God for all of eternity. That was the legal demands. But look, he set it aside and he nailed it to the cross. Here's what's awesome. It has that idea. Yes, Jesus was nailed to the cross. He was the picture of your sin being forgiven. But it's 
also this idea that I want to take that record of debt that you have, I want it to say paid in full, and I want to nail it to the cross so that everybody walking by, not just you, but everyone else who sees it can see, no, 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 Johnny is innocent, he's forgiven, there's no condemnation, there is no judgment. Why? Because Jesus nailed it to the cross. My debt is forgiven. And what does he say about that sin? Verse 15, he disarmed it. It literally means he's stripped it naked. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to an open shame by triumphing over them in him. The idea is is that that is what a Roman general would do when they would conquer another force. They would take the leader of that force. They would strip him naked. They would beat him. They would have a parade. They would parade him around so that everyone could see this ruler does no longer rule over you. He has been made absolutely powerless. You are no longer going to serve him anymore. That's the idea. That is what Jesus Christ did with your sin. He stripped it naked. It no longer has power over you. It is no longer something that needs to hang over you and for you to allow to enslave you. No, no, no. Jesus canceled it. He nailed it. He disarmed it. He triumphed. Try was triumphant over it. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. Focus on a relationship with Christ rather than keeping a set of external rules. Here's the second thing. Verses 18 through 23. Can we look at it again because it's been a while? Paul says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism. What's asceticism? It literally was this legalistic type of idea that believed that one who lives this life of rigorous self-denial, like to the point where you cause pain on yourself, like you were paying penance, like I'm going to whip myself or I'm going to allow myself to suffer in some way and experience pain. Because believing that that somehow is going to gain me more favor with God or I'm going to not allow myself to engage in certain activity that God has given me the freedom to engage in. There's nothing wrong with it according to God's word, but I'm going to remove myself from that. I'm going to go live on a mountaintop in isolation, never talk to anyone, remain in silence, believing that those external things are going to gain me more of a relationship with God than someone who doesn't. That was the idea of asceticism. And then you had this worship of angels to where they would literally worship angels to the point that they, it was robbing them of their worship to the Lord. You had people having visions like, I had a vision today. And because you didn't have a vision today, I'm more spiritual than you. That was what was going on, which is why it says puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind because that was just motivated by pride. It wasn't motivated by holiness or spirituality. And verse 19 says, not holding fast, forgetting, not holding fast to the head. We said the head was Jesus, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and its ligament, grows with a growth that is from God. It's interesting how spiritual growth is is described there, right? It's sourced in Jesus. I think of John 15 where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
Paul is saying, no, 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 Jesus is the head. Jesus is the life source. Jesus is better. Jesus lived and died and rose again for you. He is the cornerstone. He is where your relationship is grounded and rooted, what we looked at in Colossians 2, 16 and 17. So walk in him. That's where spiritual growth from. That's where you're nourished. That's where you're knit together all the way down to your ligaments and joints. Like there's descriptive in the sense that Jesus is sufficient for your spiritual growth, which leads us to the second action that we need to be living in in order to experience rest rather than wrestling with religion. It's this, hold fast to Jesus as your source of spiritual growth rather rather than legalistic behavior. See, here's what legalism is not. Can we talk about what it's not first? Legalism is not me keeping a set of rules, me having some preferences that I'm going to choose to live my life this way. Preferences being there's nothing in God's word that gives clearly that I need to abstain from this because there are, and we're going to look at that next week, but, but no, 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 these are preferences. There's nothing in Scripture that says that I need to abstain from these things. But I may say, you know what, I'm going to abstain from these things for any numerous reasons, maybe because I know that these particular things can cause me to be more vulnerable to the things that I do need to abstain from. And so I say, for Johnny Pereira's life, I'm going to abstain from these. And you may say, that doesn't affect me whatsoever. That's not legalism. Legalism happens when I believe because I am doing these things and you are not, that somehow I'm more accepted by God than you are. That's legalism. Let me define it this way. Legalism is this. If you want to remember it in a way to remember, Jesus plus something makes me somebody. That's legalism. Whatever it is in the blank, Jesus plus something, whatever that is, makes me somebody. Well, I read a chapter a day of the Bible. At 4.30 in the morning. Seriously? Like you read it at 9 o'clock at night? No, no, no. I read it at 4.30 in the morning. Did you hear me? Therefore, because I read it at 4.30 in the morning, and I get up that early, which is ungodly, but I get up that early, <laughs> and don't read it at 9 o'clock at night, I am obviously more spiritual than you are, because I am willing to sacrifice sleep in order to engage God's word more than you. That is legalism. Jesus plus something I'm believing makes me somebody. It makes conformity to man-made rules the measure of my spirituality. It's saying, if you go to a church that has one of these versus a church that has an organ and a piano and nothing else, then obviously your church is going to hell in a handbasket. If you have a church that opens a hymnal versus has words on the screen, then obviously you are at a church that is much less than mine. And here's, here's, this, here's the craziness of that. If you go to a church that has an organ and a piano, praise God for that. 
And if you have a church that wants to open up a hymnal and sing first, second, and fourth verses and leave out the third all the time, praise God for that. (laughs) And if you want to go to a church that has words on a screen, praise God for that. If you want to go to a church that has drums and five electric guitars and everything, praise God for that. What's the point? The point is, wait a minute, what are you doing in that time? Are you focusing on Jesus as the source of your spiritual growth? Or are you judging your spirituality by the elemental things that you do? That's Paul's point. It's the head. It's about Jesus. And let's stop trying to quantify and qualify and make ourselves feel better by the certain things that we do versus some of the things that maybe someone else doesn't do that we do that isn't things that we are to abstain from in God's word. See, the first point of the message, focus on your freedom in Christ rather than keeping a set of external rules, deals with the guilt that oftentimes surrounds our spiritual walk that comes from religion. This is about dealing with our pride. Us thinking we're better than someone else because of the way we do certain things. Legalism is useless. It's useless. Because it can't bring life change and spiritual growth. That's Paul's point. He says, he says there, they are of no value at the end of verse 23. No value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Listen to me. You want to go up to a mountain in a cabin and isolate yourself and not be around anybody else and totally live in solitude? Awesome. But here's the problem. You took you with you. So you're still going to struggle with sin. External things are not going to give me the spiritual growth that is only found when I understand, no, 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 it's my freedom in Christ. It's my relationship with Jesus. It's what he has accomplished for me. That is my motivation for living a life that is holy and set apart for him. It's not guilt. It's definitely not pride. It is a gratitude of the grace of God provided for me through Jesus. Romans 14, 17, Paul says it like this, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul says in verse 20, if Christ, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, in other words, if when you put your faith and trust in Christ, you died to this hamster wheel of you're not good enough. That's a lie of the enemy. That there's no way that you can be accepted by God. No, no, no. That's what Jesus Christ did. If with Christ you die, that's his point. Then don't be consumed with do not handle, do not taste. Verse 21, do not touch. Verse 23, these have an appearance of wisdom. Man, you can look super spiritual. But what what did Jesus say about the Pharisees who lived their lives this way? They were a tomb. They were a sepulcher, beautiful on the outside, dead on the inside. Listen to me, I have friends that I grew up with that went to church that are no longer want to have anything to do with the church because they were able to see the hypocrisy of living life by a religion rather than a relationship. 
It's a dangerous thing, and that's why the Holy Spirit through Paul points it out. Galatians 5, and 23 says this, the fruit of the Spirit, we know this, right, is love and its joy and its peace and its patience and its kindness and its goodness and its faithfulness and its gentleness and its self-control. But here's a phrase that I never saw the significance of. Against such there is no law. You know what Paul's saying there? No external rule can produce these fruit in your life other than a relationship with Jesus Christ. So as we close, I want to point your attention back to verse 17, because it's really where our main idea came from. When Paul says, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. You know, a lot of times we can find ourselves in our walk with the Lord in chasing shadows. What do I mean by that? Because all of us have a story, right? All of us have a way we came to Jesus. All of us have things that God used in our lives that were significant in drawing us closer to him or drawing us into a relationship with him. But those things are shadows. They're a shadow of the cross. They're not the cross. They're not Jesus. Some of us can be like, man, there's this certain song that I wish we sang more and and I get frustrated because we don't sing it and why doesn't our church sing it? I'm not saying this because somebody talked to me before the service, but like, like, like what, there's a certain song. Why don't we sing that song? And the reason why that song is significant to you is because it's what the Lord used to, to maybe bring you in relationship with Christ or, or, or to renew you in, in wanting to pursue him greater. Or maybe some of you are like, man, there's just this liturgy that we do and, and saying these things over and over again that are significant and, and I enjoy them and they point my attention to Christ. Praise God, but are you worshiping the shadow more than the Savior? So we're like, man, why don't we do this or why don't we do that and, and, and why don't we have this program and why don't we have that program and there's nothing wrong with those things, whatever they may be, but I wonder if the reason why those are so significant to you is because your spiritual life is being driven by nostalgia rather than the power of the Holy Spirit. There's shadows. There's nothing wrong with shadows. Some of you are like, I mean, I had a conversation with someone, not in the church, outside the church, they were like, man, I really like that song, Waymaker. And I'm like, what? In my mind, there's something wrong with you spiritually. But then I was like, wait a minute, man. I mean, that song doesn't speak to them like it speaks to me. That's my point, see? What is the motivation for my walk with the Lord, for my spiritual growth? Is it the gratitude because of the grace of God given to me through Jesus Christ? It's not guilt. It's not pride. And some of us need to lay down the religion that we are trying to live in and look to Jesus once again as the cornerstone of our life. So we're going to sing that. So I want you to stand with me this morning and we're gonna sing this song believing that a satisfied heart finds and rests in its relationship with Jesus Christ, not religion. Praise God it's not religion. Praise God that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus.